Welcome to the fifth installation of Risk Factors. Today, um, in this episode, I will be highlighting what has been occurring throughout the month of May and throughout the coronavirus as a reference to black people and racism and police brutality. I have not had a podcast since February. Um, it has been a very stressful and time-consuming year already and it's only been the fifth the fifth month going into the sixth month of the year halfway through and i have just been extremely busy i've been wanting to do it but unfortunately things have occurred to where i had to put a cease on something that i really wanted to aspire to do more than most of the other things that i do throughout the day so like i already said today we'll be we will be talking about racism police brutality and all of the other issues that are that contribute to that form of hatred within our community. Um, the latest, as we may know, is George Floyd, which um, we will go into more detail later. Along with George Floyd, we have we will be discussing the Karen situation. If you do not know what the Karen situation, we will be talking about that. And another issue that we will be highlighting is the Breonna Taylor issue, which I feel, these issues I feel very, very compelled to speak out against because they were uh, outrageous incidents that only proved the claim that maybe white people are really crazy. Before I go into that, I first want to discuss what it means being an African-American in this country at this moment. Not only do we have a disease that um, can take us out at any time, but apparently we can have um, law enforcement who are here to protect us who can also take us out at any time. And not only law enforcement, but even regular Caucasian people walking the streets can take their privilege and turn it against us and form it into violence and when somebody has such a power to do that over you and not only that but there's also a disease out here that can have a lot of power to um ultimately kill you as well it's a very stressful time to be an african-american person especially in this country at this time and um we're also going to get into allyship and what a proper allyship should look like and also how sometimes we may see African-American people who don't necessarily understand why things are happening the way they're happening in the form and shape that they're happening in because they want to have their own um, their own opinions that do not necessarily fit the status quo of many African-American people in this country. There are people out here who don't believe that the riots should be the way they are, who don't believe that burning down buildings will assist, while there are other people who believe that this should be the case. But one thing I feel like um is not being highlighted is that these people are are dead. They're gone. Their families are hurt. The the country in general is 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 hurting from this. At least the African American population and our our complete and one hundred percent complete allies are being are being hurt and um immensely detrimented by what is occurring right now. So with all of this happening, it doesn't matter what necessarily is the reaction from it is just the fact that there is a reaction from it because there's hurt there. 
And I feel like that's the part that's that's being left out. But we're going to get into all of that. Um, we're going to get into um these three examples of how racism and police brutality have affected African-American people during this um, coronavirus outbreak. We're going to get into um, what some political leaders say, what are the pros and cons of what some political leaders are saying, and um, the the goods and the bads. We have to take both into consideration. Um, Of course, what our president and what our past president is saying, um, we also have to take into consideration all sides, and we're going to be discussing that throughout the whole video. Welcome to the fifth installation episode. This is the risk factors of being a black person during quarantine. Before I say anything, I want you to know that these are 100% my opinions. Everyone is entitled to their um, First Amendment right, which is the the First Amendment right, which is the the right to... Say what the fuck you want to say, regardless of what anyone else <laughs> believe of it. Um, I am entitled to share my opinion. If you feel like my opinion isn't as valid as it should be, you can always DM me on Instagram at sway.txny. That's S-W-A-E dot T-X-N-Y. And um, voice what you feel like I was saying that was incorrect. And we can discuss that and um, have a conversation about it. Um, I do. I don't mind having a conversation about my opinions that way that we can both open up and share each other thought processes so that we can become we can come to a compromise and you never know what a thought process or a conversation can do to save a person's life so um i do not mind it at all i just want you to know that this is 100 percent my opinions and my viewpoints on everything if there is a concern or a question about anything you can always dm me on my instagram and yeah we're gonna head right into it the first incident we will be discussing is the wrongful death of Miss Breonna Taylor. If you do not know who Miss Breonna Taylor is or the situation, Breonna Taylor is a 26-year-old, was, excuse me, was a 26-year-old, soon-to-be nurse who was shot, and, shot eight times and killed by police officers as they barged into her home in the middle of the night after searching for from what it seems to be a drug warrant amongst her home. Again, as um, the police report has stated that they did not find any drugs in her apartment um, as they have thought that drugs were involved in her apartment. As I am looking on MotherJones.com, it says... Taylor and her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, were in bed when they heard the officers enter at around 12.40 a.m. on March the 13th. According to the search warrant, police believe the suspected drug dealer named Jamarcus Glover, who did not live with Taylor and had already been arrested elsewhere, was keeping drugs or money at her house. Walker, thinking the plainclothes officers were intruders, called 911. He did pulled out his gun and fired a shot at one officer's legs. The officer responded with more than 20 rounds of bullets that sailed through the kitchen and living room, fatally striking Taylor eight times. Bullets also flew into an adjacent home where a pregnant woman and a five-year-old child slept. The officers found no drugs on no premises. They promptly charged Walker with attemptive murder. As I was reading this, um, the visuals flew to, through my head and 
it really hurts. So to break down the story for you, um, and the whole the issue with everything that the story is, these police officers were not dressed in police clothing. They were dressed in regular clothing, barging into someone's house in the middle of the night. The man in the house, Kenneth Walker, as a response, fired one shot, a bullet, in self-defense, thinking that these men were in there barging into his home, trying to rob them, trying to harm them. And he was charged with attempted, attempted murder, which is the first issue. The second issue is that the man that was living with them, um, his name was Jamarcus Glover, had already been arrested. But they were sure they wanted to go in and search for drugs and money that was left over from him since he was already arrested. Those were two mistakes. Two mistakes that could have easily been handled. Who are you to go anywhere without the proper uniform on, barging into anyone's home in the middle of the night and not expect for any animosity to occur? As if we're not human beings, as if we don't have ways of protecting ourselves or ways of thinking as anyone else do. Why is that the case? Why do they feel like that is okay for them to do? As they shot at 20 rounds of bullets, eight of them striked Taylor. Just like that, in the state of Kentucky, in the city of Louis, Louisville, we see police brutality. Walker was legally registered gun owner as well. And Kentucky's stand your ground law allows people to use deadly force against an intruder at their home. But the law doesn't apply when the intruder is a police officer who identifies himself as such. Um, upon, we have to really look at this, look at this as it is. Upon someone entering inside of your home in the middle of the night, not just one person, four people, and they are not wearing the proper attire, they can say that they are a police officer. But in that moment, in that little split of a moment of you seeing someone into your home, you're not going to register that, oh, maybe they're a police officer because they don't have on the right equipment that police officers typically wear. And anybody can lie. So why would, why would Walker have believed anything that was being said in the first place? This whole situation is the reason why African-American people are angry everywhere. Because for some, for some reason, law enforcement and Caucasian people believe that they can do whatever they want to do and say whatever they want to say without any critique, without any backlash, without any reinforcement from anyone else. And in this current day, that is not the case. The Louisville officers claim that even with their no-knock warrant, they knocked and announced themselves before forcibly entering Taylor's home. According to lawyers for her family, neighbors say they heard no knock. Meaning that these officers openly lied and their words were actively thought of as superior upon witnesses saying that they heard no knock right there in Louisville, Kentucky. This is the story of Miss Brianna Taylor's death, a soon-to-be nurse, 26 years old, haven't even had a chance to breathe life as, as a successful adult yet. 
And just like that, a life is gone. The next situation we will be talking about is the Karen situation, also known as Mr. Amy Cooper. Now, um, there were two people in this situation um, that occurred on March 26th. A man, Mr. Cooper, an African-American man around the age of 57, was a Harvard graduate who works in communications, and he loved to go to the the park, um, a New York park, Central Park, excuse me, and just was a regular bird watcher who loved to look at the birds and feed the birds and just be around them. Um, And that was his initial hobby. Now, on this day, um, as it occurred, there was also a lady by the name of Amy Cooper, or as we now call her, a Karen, who in terms did not want to obey the simple policy of having your dog on a leash while in Central Park. As Mr. Cooper has the right to do, he politely asks Miss Amy Cooper, which the two are in no relation together, in no way possible, shape, and fashion, if she would, wouldn't mind putting her dog on a leash. Miss Amy Cooper, in her Caucasian privilege, in her white woman privilege, took, that, took it upon herself to use what I like to call the Emmett Till Method. If you do not know who Emmett Till is, Emmett Till was an African, was, excuse me, an African-American male who was wrongfully murdered and killed during the institution of, not institution of slavery, excuse me, during um, the time of Jim Crow laws for allegedly whistling to a white woman. So I like to call this the Emmett Till method because both could have sparked the same, we could have had the same exact result from it. Um, as Mr. Cooper asked her politely to please put her dog on the leash, um, Miss Amy Cooper, which again has no relation to him, took that and just ran away with it. Um, he was recording the whole thing, um, basically, which occurred in it. I'm going to, um, allow you all to look up the video so you can see it yourself, but it ultimately resulted in Miss Amy Cooper saying, And I quote that I'm going to tell them, as she says, she's going to call a police officer. Them she is referred to as the police officer in law enforcement. I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. As she said, African-American man twice. This white woman who didn't want to put her dog on the leash, as it clearly says on signs, as a, as anyone could have came up to her and told her, and asked her politely if she could have put her dog on the leash, would rather use her white privilege to threaten the existence of another human being instead of just doing the moral thing, which in turn would have been to put her dog on a leash correctly as she came up to him, um, pointing her finger, almost killing her dog, calling the police, saying there's an African-American man trying to threaten her, um, in any sense could have ended a life, could have been another life ended by police, by law enforcement on on the news, and there could have been a big um, up, up riot because she didn't want to do the right thing. But she didn't care. She is a Karen. 
And um, we are referring to Karen as those white women, as white women, as some white women who teach in the education system um, that you might see walking their dogs incorrectly, that you might see shopping in the grocery stores. The same ones who will smile on your face as they are jogging could possibly be the same women who use their white privilege against you to ultimately end your life. She is now categorized as a Karen, Miss Amy Cooper. Um, what she did not know is that Mr. Cooper was a Harvard graduate, um, which in a sense, it is um, a very important detail um, to add to this because um, there isn't necessarily a reason why, but it's a very important detail because it just she took what she thought she knew and her prejudice and didn't think of anything else. And as he caught all of this on video, it is very accurate to see that in this age and time, white women and white men and people who um who have the upper hand and have the extra boot um would not mind using that extra privilege that they have to take it out on people and ultimately end a life. Amy Cooper has been fired from her job. She has made uh, multiple um, apologies throughout media, but no one cares. We don't care. An apology is not for us. That apology is for her because she feels um, a certain kind of way. Her conscience is at an uproar. We don't care anything about your apology. Miss Amy, Miss Amy Cooper, if you're ever listening, or as I like to call you, Karen, we don't care anything about your apology, and <laughs> you will never be forgiven by our community. You are shunned completely. And again, the video is posted everywhere, so if you like to just go and watch the video, um, you can do so. This is the second exhibit I say as of how African American people can be endangered by this quarantine. Alright, so the third and the final incident that has occurred that I would love to speak on is the George Floyd incident. If you do not know about the George Floyd incident, Please turn on your television. I'm pretty sure that many of you have seen a video or a picture of a police officer holding his knee down upon a black man's neck. That black man is George Floyd, and this is his story. So, um, after doing research about who George George Floyd was and what the incident um was about that occurred. I did find out that George Floyd was a was previously in college known to be an athlete. He was a football player in Texas and he was nicknamed Gentle Giant. I'm not so much into um athletics but um I'm pretty sure that having a name such as Gentle Giant meant that he got around Texas pretty well as a football football star, especially in high school. So George Floyd and the incident occurred in occurred in Minneapolis, but he was a native in Houston. Um, he moved to Minneapolis after um, getting out of jail for other incidents that occurred. So while he was in working in Minneapolis, he worked two jobs. He was a truck driver, and he was also 
a he will bust tables at a Latino bistro. Um, I necessarily forgot the name of the of the bistro he worked at. Um, around eight p.m. on Monday, um, police have received a call from a convenience store about a counterfeit twenty dollar bill. To imagine that a counterfeit $20 bill, supposedly counterfeit, could turn into a death of a black man and upright um, throughout the community, throughout this country, is outrageous. Um, I used to work in a grocery store, and we got a lot of counterfeit, but the, the thing about counterfeit is that sometimes banks would get counterfeit. and wouldn't even realize that it was fake money or sometimes it's just older older pieces of cash and they would get that from the bank. So to say that this man was responsible for the fake twenty dollar bill is a very it's very far fetched because money gets around pretty fast. Um if I'm that's 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 well known. Money gets around pretty fast. So to say that he is responsible for this fake twenty dollar bill is inaccurate. So uh, the situation that occurred was, and it was also caught on video. If anybody wants to see the video, it's um very vulgar. Um, I do not recommend it for sensitive people because I, I just hate to see images like that. The officer, there were four officers on the scene, but the main officer that I did look um into was named Madario Orondondo. And despite the name, he is not Latino. He is a white police chief. And he was the man who had his knee up against George Floyd's neck for minutes, even after he was not moving. Let's consider every possible thing that occurred with this situation. Here we are, I have one black man, okay? He was an athlete. He was probably pretty tall, but there were still four other police officers. He was wearing a white beater and jeans. If there was any possible way that he had a weapon on him, you would have easily been able to see it. A white beater is a, is a really tight, sleeveless shirt, and his jeans were tight enough around the waist where you could have easily have seen a gun if he had one on him. So to have done so much for just a counterfeit $20 bill is very outrageous. And when we look at this issue and we looked at how it was caught on video and how his knee was up against this man's neck as he pleaded for his life and could not breathe is outrageous. And for the response that many people are getting from the outbursts, from the buildings being burnt, from the riots, from the protests, it's extremely outrageous. Because when you think about an innocent life being stolen by police, enforce, by officers and enforcement and authority that would not con- consistently listen, you do everything in your power to make them listen. So as I'm saying this and as I'm speaking about this, I will be bringing up um, President Obama's response to George Floyd, as well as some devastating tweets that I had seen from Donald Trump. I will start for the, I will start with first talking about what was said by our previous president, Barack Obama, and his release from it. Um, I quote, 
I want to share parts of the conversation I've had with friends over the past couple of days about the footage of George Floyd dying face down on the street under the knee of a police officer in Minnesota. The first is an email from a middle-aged African-American businessman. Dude, I gotta tell you, the George Floyd incident in Minnesota hurt. I cried when I saw that video. It broke me down. The knee on the neck is a metaphor for how the system so um, I gotta edit that out. The knee on the neck is a metaphor for how the system so cavalierly holds black folks down, ignoring the cries for help. People don't care. Truly tragic. Another friend of mine used a powerful song that went viral from 12 years old, Keydron Bryant, to describe the frustration he was feeling. The circumstances of my friend and Keydron was maybe different. But their anguish is the same. It's shared by me and my mil- and millions of others. It's natural to wish for life, to just get back to normal as a pandemic and economic crisis append everything around us. But we have to remember that for millions of Americans being treated differently on account of race is tragically, painfully, maddeningly normal. Whether it's while dealing with the health care system or interacting with the criminal justice system or jogging down the street, or just watching birds in a park. It shouldn't be normal in 2020 America. It can't be normal. If we want our children to grow up in a nation that lives up to its highest ideas, ideals, we can and must be better. It will fall mainly on the officials of Minnesota to ensure that the circumstances surrounding George Floyd's death are investigated thoroughly and that justice is ultimately done. But it falls on all of us, regardless of our race or station, including the majority of men and women in law enforcement who take pride in doing their tough job the right way every day to work together to create a new normal in which the legacy of bigotry and unequal treatment no longer infects our institutions or our hearts. This is the message um, sent from the previous president of the United States, Barack Obama. I would not share my opinions on his on what he had to say. I feel like every single thing that he said, however, was completely validated and he shared his opinion. However, Mr. Trump, on the other hand, has some fair, one thing that really caught my attention above everything else was the the coincidence of how different two of his tweets were in the past days. So the first tweet was about black people. No, excuse me. Yes, never mind. The first tweet was about black people protesting police brutality. And I quote by Donald J. Trump on Twitter. These thugs are dishonoring the memory of George Floyd. And I won't let that happen. Just spoke to Governor Tim Walls and told him that the military is with him all the way. Any difficulty and we will assume control. But when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Thank you. And (laughs) here's the controversy. The second one was white people protesting can't get hair and nails done. The governor of Michigan should give a little and put out the fire. These are very good people, but they are angry. They want their lives back again safely. See them, talk to them, make a deal. Um, Let's talk about how, um, how seriously we take white people complaining about the smallest situations. A haircut and a nail has nothing to do with a, the death of a person's life. These two tweets are 
extremely different. Donald Trump referring to those protesters as quote unquote thugs um, was very disheartening. What well, was it was it was disheartening to hear, but it it wasn't unexpected. Nothing from him is necessarily unexpected when it comes to racist, homo, racism, homophobic, or even sexual sexuality or sexism anymore to me. And I'm pretty sure many million of other people share this same idea that we are not overwhelmed or we are not surprised to hear the stupidity that comes out of Donald Trey Donald excuse me, Donald J. Trump's mouth. Um he just saying that he just spoke to, to the government's in walls and told him that the military is with him all the way. Um, against um, any form of protesting against police brutality, any difficulty we will assume control. But when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Wow. Extremely outrageous how this man, the president of our country, can sit up here and say these disheartening things um, to the people that he is supposed to be looking out for. Um, regardless of race, class, sexuality, gender. But it seems in terms that he or not. These are the people that this is the person that other people decide to put in office. So when we say that just because you voted for him makes it seem that you're a racist and you are sexist, we are not just saying that for no apparent reason. And the fact that this is a strong controversy against what he was saying about white people protesting, can't get hair done, can't get in their hair and nails done. He is calling them very good people, telling them to stay safe see them, talk to them, make a deal with them. It's two different sides. It's like when it comes to African-American people, there has to be a sense of control and who's in charge. But when it comes to white people discussing the things with their government, it has to be a compromise. So why is this such a, a big issue with him? Um, will this be the last time he is in office? Hopefully so. But again, we never know from this country and we we have to expect everything to come from it i have no further things to say about donald j trump except that um his remarks are very very unmoral immoral gotta edit that part out too his response is very immoral i think Moving forward, I would like to reiterate that this has to be one of the most outrageous times to be African-American in this nation. Not only do we have to worry about police officers, but we also have to worry about regular white women enforcing their hatred upon us. A hatred all around for African-American people has occurred since the beginning of time, and it seems that nothing has changed yet. That despite everything that has occurred, despite all of the steps that we have taken, that we have prospered to be on the same level as them, they consistently, no pun intended, don't mind putting their knee on our neck and putting us in place. And we have to, as a nation, understand this, understand that we do have allies, but some people will, regardless of whether they are African-American or not, just won't see this because of their own past experiences with Caucasian people. And that was another issue that I had, that had occurred upon me, but I will not necessarily go into this until another segment. Um, I wanted to end it right here by quickly saying, 
that it is important that we look out for one another because apparently in this nation, no one else can look out for us but each other, regardless of whether you're 10 feet away from the person or 10 hundred miles away from the person. You have to make sure that we look out for our own because apparently no one else will. Thank you and everyone remains safe out there.